Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ emanating live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them at East Independence Boulevard or online at planetkianc.com. KB and Smoke, hour number two. A few people hit us up and said, KB, what was your caller talking about national rankings? All right, here's the deal real quick. Uh, Barrett Sports Media. You probably heard Jeff Rickard talk about this earlier today. Uh, it's an industry trade thing. Uh, we all, you know, those of us who are working professionals, whether it be broadcast, medicine, technology, the automotive industry, you know, we all have the trades, right? Trade magazine, trade shows. Well, broadcasting's no different. Uh, our guys over at Barrett Sports Media, they do a great job covering and uh, facilitating and just lots of things in the, in the, in the sports media space nationally. Uh, they, they, they do a lot of stuff. Every year they do rankings um, of the sports radio programs in America based on, well, they have like, I think it's like 60 executives from all the major media companies that listen to these shows, that vote on these shows. They factor in ratings and longevity and things like that. And I, I think in our category, first of all, the major markets, the Boston, L.A., Chicago, New York, like the top, I don't know, five or six markets, they get their own category. They're a different beast. Uh, but the rest of us, Charlotte, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, um, help me out here, Smoke. What else? Uh, you know, Portland, um, you know, the big cities that aren't the St. top Louis. five. St. Louis, the big cities that aren't the top five markets. Cleveland, uh, Buffalo, you know, markets like that. They, they rank us. And uh, we jumped eight spots on our show this year, uh, number seven in the country. So we appreciate the love, uh, especially from Jeff Rickard and T-Bone and Mac earlier today. Mac and Bone finished third. Um, it's just nice to be recognized by your peers and uh, the acknowledgement of hard work, and that's all it is. So we mostly we're grateful to you. As we said, this doesn't work without you listening every day. So it's just a it's an our industry thing where we're slapping each other on the back for hard work. But it does mean a lot to us. So we appreciate uh, Barrett Sports Media and all your support and everybody out there who texts and calls and uh, just supports the show. So that's the gist of it. 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the text line. Let me squeeze in Henry on the phone lines real quick. Uh, Henry wants to talk about Seth Curry, who's coming home from the Dallas Mavericks in the P.J. Washington trade. Henry, what's going on, bud? What's up, Cal, man? Congratulations on the baby, man. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Hey, man, I ain't, I'm, I'm not going to take too much of the time here, but kids today will never understand this. I've been going, I'm 40 years old. I've been going to Hornets games since I was a kid. So just watching Seth and Steph down there doing shoot around at the good old Charlotte Coliseum, watching them shoot around, and it's a full circle moment. I'm just excited for, for what's getting ready to go on with the Hornets right now. And it's just a good feeling. It's something to feel good about because as bad as they are at 10 and 40 or whatever it is, it's something to feel good about. So that's all I want to say, man. It's a full circle moment. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Uh, it, it is full circle in some ways. <laughs> the Curry stuff. Now, you know, Seth is 33. He's not old. He ain't young. Uh, he slipped a little bit in the all-time three-point percentage rankings, by the way. He, at one point just a couple of years ago, Seth Curry, not Steph, Seth was the all-time NBA three-point percentage leader. He slipped to seventh on that list. I got to pull up the, the list again. I looked at it earlier. You know who I think is first all time? Luke Kennard. I'm serious. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 A.B. Uh, Reddick himself. Yeah, I'm, I've got it here. I'm going to pull it up and look at it again. I was looking at it earlier today. Seth has slipped a little bit. He slipped to seventh, but we're talking about a difference of like four one thousandths of a point. Um, something like that. And so, you know, he, he, he can still fight his way back to the top of the ladder if he wants to. Um, but, you know, Seth, Seth can shoot the basketball. Seth's a good locker room guy. 
Um, he understands how to conduct himself in the NBA. He can contribute, and he's a guy that you want rubbing off on the younger guys. So Seth Curry, obviously there's the the narrative he's coming home. Same for Grant Williams. That's cool and everything. But you know, I, I think both can contribute in a significant way. I think both, especially Grant Williams, who's only, what, 24? Is Grant Williams only 24? Or 25, maybe? So he's around. My, I do know he's around my age, and I'm 26. He's 25. He just turned 25, like two months ago. Oh, he's that? a young guy here, right? Yeah. Some pride coming home to play. He's um, got like three, four. It's a pretty long deal for him that he signed with the Mavericks. Because remember, it was it was a potential sign and trade with Grant Williams coming here to Charlotte, and they were supposed to do this potentially with PJ in the offseason. So in a sense, all in sense and intents and purposes, it was delayed. Yeah, and by the way, if you're if you're one of those concerned about the culture in the locker room, how much Lamelo cares, is he a leader? You know, can he be more like Brandon Miller? You got Grant Williams, an enforcer type, you know, defender type, and uh, Seth Curry coming home to Charlotte. You think it won't mean something for them to be competitive night in, night out? Like that's, I think that helps if you're concerned about that sort of thing. And even though I don't like the the coaching style that this guy has, let's face it, Grant Williams. He came up from Tennessee. He had to be coached under Rick Barnes. If that doesn't say culture, I don't know what does. Yeah, I like that point. I like that point. 704-570-9610. By the way, we got uh, uh, Brian Baldinger coming up in about seven minutes. Baldy's Breakdowns. My man's got some thoughts on Bryce Young and the Panthers and Dave Canales. And, of course, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. He's joining me live from Super Bowl Radio Row uh, here in about six minutes. As will Stink, Mark Slareth. Coming up at 4.45, he'll do the exact same thing. So we're talking a lot of football here in this hour. Um, can we play it real quick? Do we have time? Yeah, we do. We do? Check out what Matt Rule said yesterday at his press conference about Brock Purdy. I think Brock Purdy is an amazing player because um, I played against him at Iowa State. When I was in the draft room at Carolina, I, I brought his name up. I said, hey, guys, he should be on the draft board. I got vetoed on that one. But... Um, uh, you can ask Coop, uh, but I, uh, I think, I mean, we used to tell our guys when we were playing Brock Purdy, we we're like, do not, do not fall for his pump fake, right? Because Brock would come out, he'd pump fake, and first game, he gets, he's 10 yards down the field, he pump fakes, our DVs are jumping. I'm like, guys, he's past the line of scrimmage, so well, a lot of respect for Brock. All right, so Matt Rule claimed yesterday that he wanted to draft Brock Purdy with the Panthers, but that that was vetoed, and you can ask Coop is what he said. He wanted to draft Brock Purdy, but he was vetoed. First of all, let's start with the obvious. Brock Purdy ain't Brock Purdy with these Panthers. All right, we never hear about Brock Purdy in the NFL or really ever again post-Iowa State. Brock Purdy's probably already back home on the combine, full-time on the farm, if he gets taken by the Panthers, all right? Second of all, the guy who had full roster control and wasn't vetoed on drafting a long snapper, but was vetoed on drafting the most important position and his preferred pick at it in Brock Purdy. Come on, bro. Like, this is one of the most bold-faced lies I've ever seen in public. And the worst part is, like, Barstool's out here talking about this. Like, this is the first time I actually believe Matt Rule. The Panthers are such a bleep show of a franchise. And it's like, so we're just going to ignore the last couple of years of, oh, well, he had full roster control. But now he's claiming that he got vetoed on the quarterback. Not, not 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 an offensive line prospect, right? Not a safety. It'd be one thing if he said this about, like, Trey Smith, who's right. for the Chiefs. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Quarterback. The coach had picked out a quarterback that he wanted, and he claimed that he was vetoed. I even have audio to prove that this is a lie, Kyle. Yeah, I, we don't have time to play it. But he's on the Panthers' confidential video in the war room saying that if there was one quarterback he'd go get. It's Matt Corral. 
He never mentioned Brock Purdy. <laughs> Not one time. Like Matt Rule just straight up made that up yesterday, right? And 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 maybe at some point he made a passing comment about Brock Purdy. Um, but like it, it's just so fun. Like Patrick said, to be fair, he didn't say he wanted to draft him, just that he should be on the board. Yeah, but it's the draft board. It's the board of draftable players. <laughs> what do you mean? And he had full roster control. Friggin' Matt Rule. We'll come back. Brian Baldinger, live from the Super Bowl, talking Panthers, Bryce Young, Canales, and Sunday's big game. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Coming up Friday morning on the Mac and Bone Show, what did the Hornets do at the deadline? Bridges staying. Hayward's going. What about PJ? PJ, get your jammies on! We'll talk about it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hits me on the text line. He says, if only Brock Purdy had played at Baylor or Temple, Matt Rule would have gotten him for sure then. Uh, if you missed it, Matt, Matt Rule got on the podium yesterday at Nebraska for God knows what reason. I really don't know. Um, and was asked about... Signing day. Was, what? Yesterday? Well, yeah, the, the final signing day period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it's that's so... how much the second signing day means now. <laughs> that's how much the second signing day... This Yesterday used to be the grand poobah college football offseason date on the calendar. And yesterday, and, and now I'm like, wait, what was, was is this? We used to be, we used to be a proper country, Kyle. <laughs> we didn't have two signing days. Although I like the December signing day better. I gotta lie, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I mean, get it over with. So anyway, Matt Rule got up on the podium and he said, "Yeah, I really wanted to draft Brock Purdy. I want to put him on our board." And I got vetoed when I was a Panther. And it's like, bro, you couldn't be vetoed. You had full roster control. You had veto power. It's documented. It was reported. So why are you saying that? And, that guy. I, you know what? I understand for some people, they're like, why are we still talking about Matt Rule? I get it. But the audacity to say that into a microphone. It's like, bro, no matter what nuance or, or detail you think that we're missing here, you had full roster control. That's what I told AJ on the text line. He's like, yeah, but you know, he just said he wanted him on the board. And you know, the Blueprint series is an after-the-fact propaganda tool. So, of course, they'll cut a clip of audio on the quarterback that we drafted. And it's like, yeah, I understand your point. But he was to say he was vetoed about anything is ridiculous because it was documented and established that he had full roster control. That, and we saw other people like uh, Joe Person tweet about, it's like, yeah, right. Mike K is like, yeah, right. Even Bill Vof, who was in the building at the time, was like, yeah, right. Essentially with those tweets. Bro, I mean, come on. This guy is becoming a Hulk Hogan level of liar right now. Oh, it's unreal, dude. It's unreal. And I, and I hope this gets back to him because like that's what, what you got up there and said yesterday is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. 704-57-9. I got more of these coming in, man. Bennett says, I'm so fired up about that liar. Hell, his wife drafted Chuba. I, I think I ran into Chuba Hubbard earlier today in Uptown. Really? Getting a smoothie, yeah. I just got a glimpse of him. I, I wasn't you know, stalking him or anything. We ended up in Uptown together. Uh, I won't say where, but uh, we picked up smoothies at the same time, I'm pretty sure. Uh, good thing I didn't run into him because I would have been yelling, Chuba, 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 nah, Rocket Everywhere. That would have been so. That's why you can't go anywhere in public. That's why I, I just told you during the break that I, I was going to try to bring you with me to the Super Bowl in New Orleans next year, and you're already making me reconsider that. Yeah, true. Because you just admitted that if you saw Chuba Hubbard out in public, you would walk up to him and say that. And this is not five minutes after I just told you during the break, Smoke, I'm going to take you to the Super Bowl with me next year in New Orleans. Hey, at least I haven't. I didn't almost kill Rex Ryan. No, you're not. Well, I didn't, though. It almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. All right. So I didn't. And now you're making me lose faith in taking you anywhere. All right. 704-570-9610. We are awaiting a phone call from Brian Baldinger, which is funny because his handlers at the Super Bowl called us 15 minutes ago and said, hey, just want to make sure we're good for 415. 
and it's 423. So <laughs> we're waiting on a call from Baldy. Mark Schlereth, former Denver Bronco, uh, of course, analyst to ESPN, Denver Sports Radio, uh, Fox Sports, called a couple of Panthers games this year. Mark Schlereth coming up in about 23 minutes. So we'll probably end up going back to back. With Baldy and Schlereth in this hour, as soon as you know, assuming that everything's go everything goes according to plan, so we are waiting on Baldy to chat with him. If you're just tuning in and checking into the show today, it's been a massive day for the Hornets on the trade deadline day. Now, you know, we count Terry Rozier overall in the moves that they've made, but on deadline day, they've dealt both Gordon Hayward and PJ Washington, which is obviously significant for Gordon Hayward. Uh, they end up bringing back. Uh, Vasily Micic, uh, who else? Davies Bertans and Trey Mann. The latter two I really like, or I should say Trey Mann I think still has a good deal of potential at 23 years old. I liked him a lot coming out of Florida. He's not shooting State. it. Huh? Florida State. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was a Florida State guy. You, you said got, Florida. Oh, 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 oh. So, <laughs> sorry. My, Some Seminole people would be very mad with you right now. No, 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 no. Trey Mann, right? Yeah. Smoke. You're wrong, bro. He played at Florida. Really? Stop doing that to me. He played at Florida, bro. He had a big game against Tennessee in the SEC title game a couple of years ago. Shoot, did who I was getting him? I don't know. What's wrong with your sports computer brain? I am off on this segment. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay, my bad. It's okay. But, you know, Trey Mann can play. So I I like that deal. On the other side, P.J. Washington, you know, they get for him – a couple of Charlotte natives, Seth Curry and Grant Williams. They also get a a protected 2027 first round pick. Um, now, latent breaking news into the show. Uh, more details from that deal emerging. In addition to sending PJ Washington to Dallas, the Hornets are also sending two second round picks. Now they've got a glut of those, so they they got plenty of second round picks to move. But two second rounders going with PJ to Dallas. And in return, Seth Curry, Grant Williams, and a protected 2027 first-round pick uh, here on NBA Trade Deadline Day. But let, let's put a pause in it. Let's talk some football. And uh, let's do so with a guy that we've not had on in a while, but uh, has joined us quite a few times over the years. Brian Baldinger is with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, NFL Network, Fox Sports, Compass Media, football analyst, also an Odyssey NFL insider, and he's joining us courtesy of our friends at the Low T Center. Our good buddy Baldy back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Brian Baldinger, how you been, buddy? I've been good. I've been good right here in the the middle of the – the media center right now, just talking football and having some fun. Love it. Well, I was, I'm, I miss it, man. I've got a serious case of FOMO. I had a kid two weeks ago, so I'm, uh, I'm working okay. from, I'm working from Charlotte this year. But I'll see you out there next year in New Orleans. Um, okay. Dude, I, I love your breakdowns. I always have. I think it's one of the best things on Twitter, especially during football season. And, and here in Charlotte, I especially appreciated them this year as we were watching Bryce Young struggle inside of an offense that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Uh, personnel that wasn't great and a coach that got fired 11 games in. So let, let me start there if I can. Um, you've done a lot of film breakdowns of what you saw this year from Carolina. What's the most important thing you saw this year? Well, I saw um, I saw Derek Brown dominate the line of scrimmage every week. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of Adam Thielen, the, the ball didn't really go anywhere else. I mean, Thielen was the one guy that Bryce looked like he was comfortable throwing to. But it looked like a very simplistic offense, and an offense where the quarterback—I don't know if he couldn't see very well—but he sure looked like he was in a hurry to move uh, quicker than he needed to. And I, it all fell on the offensive line. But I don't think it was all the offensive line. I—I I thought there were times when 
they did a good job, and you know the quarterback didn't really respond too good. Well, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of folks who would agree with that last statement. I mean, look, I, I'm certainly not giving up on him. And they fired Frank Reich 11 games in. It was a mess the rest of the way. But, you know, they're reorganizing. Dan Morgan's the new GM. They've hired Dave Canales, the guy who worked wonders with Baker Mayfield this year and Geno Smith last year, to come in here and work with Bryce Young. What, what did you think about that move, that decision? Well, I talked to Baker about it yesterday, and Baker loved him. He, he loved Dave. He loved about just how um, simplistic the offense was and, and how it improved as the season went on and how the, how the offense line improved. And once that happened, they ran the ball better. I mean, it, it, they weren't this, you know, they were a playoff team that won a playoff game. But, you know, the first three weeks of the season, they weren't Tampa Bay. So it was it, it was an offense that really uh, morphed and developed as the season went on, which is kind of what you want when you're putting in a new regime. So another big question here then is uh, left tackle. They just took Icky Aquanu sixth overall out of NC State two years ago, as you well know. Uh, his rookie year, pretty good. I mean, it was a, a good rookie year that gave folks some hope. But you want to talk about a sophomore slump. I, I think he allowed 18, 19, 20 sacks this year. Um, just struggled a lot. And, you know, as you know, that you use the sixth overall pick on a player at that position. You get it wrong, it can set you back. What did you think about Icky this year? And do, are you still a believer maybe that, you know, he can be that anchor at the left tackle spot? Well, it's the same talent that got him drafted sixth overall. And I like Icky personally, but that was a horrible year. And is that is that coaching? Is that the system? Like he was reaching and overextending, and you know, getting himself out of position. And the the job of the left tackle is to be as consistent as clockwork, and that that wasn't there. And so I think you got to really get back to the the fundamentals of playing, and and uh, and really starts with the set and just getting really comfortable and and consistent with the set to start the play. Brian Baldinger with us live from Super Bowl Radio Row, courtesy of our friends at the Low T Center. Um, Baldy, let's talk about the game on Sunday. Uh, you know, this is it's a hell of a matchup, two heavyweights. What decides this? I mean, if you're digging in and you're finding that the X factor, the deciding thing about this game that's going to turn it one way or the other, what's your pinpoint? Well, I have a lot of confidence that Patrick Mahomes will play well. Has to turn it over in the postseason. But, you know, we're, we're all kind of watching, uh, you know, what a young Brock Purdy does to this game and this setting. I think he's going to play well, but how well? You know, can he make five or six throws that are just highlight throws to dethrone Kansas City in a great defense? And so I think, you know, that's he's under the microscope, no question. The play caller can help him. You know, Kyle knows how to kind of get a quarterback into a rhythm. All the, the, the talent around him can help him, you know, whether it's uh, Christian McCaffrey or Debo or whatever. Like, they can all sort of do it, but the quarterback, you can't hide him. You can't play without him. He's going to have to play big, and they they like to attack the middle of the field, and we got to see if Kansas City can take that away from them. What, there's, there's a lot of talk this week about Patrick Mahomes. He's back in the Super Bowl. If he gets number three, is he in the greatest of all time conversation? What would number three do for him? And it's not as if anybody's ignoring Andy Reid. It's just that the quarterbacks are sexier, right? They they suck up more of the oxygen in these conversations. But there's a report out today that Andy Reid's not going anywhere, despite some retirement rumors, because he's in the middle of a pretty unprecedented run in NFL terms. When it's all said and done for Andy Reid, what do you think we're saying about his place in the hierarchy of all-time great NFL coaches? Well, I mean, he's done it better in two different places than anybody ever. I mean, you look at Philadelphia 14, 11, and Kansas City. He's not going anywhere. It's what Andy does. He loves coaching. He's got the best player in the league. The coach, he's got a great organization around him. His kids are raised. 
um, you know, he loves to coach. And I don't, I don't know where those rumors came from. It didn't come out of Andy's mouth. Like, he doesn't do that. Um, so, I, you know, sometimes these things can just sort of materialize out of nowhere. But I'd, I'd be shocked, regardless of what happens on Sunday, if Andy isn't back coaching next year. Brian Baldinger with us live from Super Bowl Radio Row. Uh, before I let you go, what, what are your thoughts on the NFL opening the season in Brazil next year? That That's significant news. It's not just London this time. They're going to South America. Well, they, they, they were going to Brazil. It's just a question when they did it. So, I mean, you talk about owning the first week of the season. They're going to play on Thursday. They're going to play on Friday. They're going to play on Sunday, and they're going to play on Monday. They're going to try to own the entire weekend. And, you know, that's how the NFL thinks. They think big, and they will. And they'll leave college football open on Saturday that weekend. But they're going to try and make a biggest splash, open the league on Thursday night like we always do now, and then go to Brazil and show the world that we're a global sport. And we got a lot of media from Brazil here covering it for that reason. It's amazing. That's amazing, man. It's, it's a really the, the watch that that going to London. I had the pleasure of going over there and seeing a game a couple of years ago. Amazing experience to see them enjoy the American version of football. Brazil, that, that's going to be a scene unlike much anybody's ever seen before. Brian, we appreciate you, brother. I know it's a busy day for you. Thank you for the time. OK, thank you. Anytime. Pre- Brian Baldinger with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Always enjoy those conversations. 704-570-9610. Uh, hit us up. Brian and Mark Schlereth, by the way, this hour, brought to you by our friends at the Low T Center. Guys, it's a new year, and I want to encourage you to be more proactive with your health. Many of us put it off because we're too busy or we just hate going to the doctor. When it comes to health, there are essential numbers every man needs to know, including uh, our testosterone number. So check out LowTCenter.com. That's LowTCenter.com. Get all the information you need to get. Uh, They're, of course, our sponsor of Brian Baldinger, Mark Schlereth today. We appreciate them popping by. 704-570-9610. Punchable Paul says that Andy Reid and Bill Belichick are the same conversation as who the GOAT is. Jordan or James? Really? What? Reid and Belichick. I think he's trying to say Reid and Belichick is like the LeBron-MJ GOAT debate right now in the NBA. Or okay. It's been going because on of years. the sheer number of rings Belichick's got. Reid's got two, maybe three this year. Yeah. I mean, Reid will never catch Bel- if, if, if And look, we live in a rings culture. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Charles Barkley and Dan Marino, we know they're great, but they're excluded from all of these conversations because they don't have titles. We know it. They know it. It's not always fair. In fact, it's probably not fair. Dan Marino might be the most talented right arm to ever play the position. He's at least one of the top three or five. Oh, no doubt. He was way ahead of his time. But he, his name will never be brought up in these discussions because he doesn't have the ring. So even if Andy Reid gets his third this year, Six to three. <laughs> like, what do you do? That that and unlike the MJ LeBron discussion, uh, Belichick beat Andy Reid straight up. Right. It's in the Super Bowl. It, it's it's six to three. It just it's him. That just shows you how incredible Bill Belichick, the Patriots dynasty was. Well, and Tom Brady. Like we got to say it, and yeah. Tom Brady, and the fact that you know, as Marlon Humphrey said, there were six job openings in this cycle, and the supposed greatest coach of all time couldn't get one of them. What does that tell us? Is it tell does it tell us that he's past his prime? Does it tell us that you know people now attribute their success more to Tom Brady? Some people certainly do, right? I couldn't get a job. Couldn't get a job. Nobody wanted to hire him. Like the Falcons looked like they were about to, and then it almost seemed like they looked up and said, "Wait a minute, y'all aren't talking to him." Oh, well, why are we? Right? And it, honestly, like the Falcons brought him back for a second interview. I think the the second interview with Rich McKay, which gave the, a lot of people the impression that. 
hey, this is probably close to being done. And then all of a sudden, it was like Atlanta looked up and they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean you're not talking to Bill Bell? We're the only one. Then again, Paul Raheem back. Yeah, then again, I'd rather go with uh, Bill Belichick over Raheem Morris. Depending on the circumstances yeah. and the context, right? Because again, if Bill if Bill's in that room saying, I need roster control, then what I'm saying is, oh, hey, yeah. hey, Bill, we'll validate your parking. It was good to see you. True. Yeah. No, really. I mean, if I'm Rich McKay, Terry Font, no Arthur Blank, if he says he wants full roster control, I'm thanking him for his time, validating his parking, and sending him back to his to his Beamer. No. Or whatever he drives. You're right. It's something fancy and expensive. Probably has a Jeep. Remember, he's got that dog. What kind of car do we think Bill Bill Belichick drives? I think he's a Jeep guy. No. Yeah. You think? Like, you honestly think that, or you're just guessing? I, I'm a little bit of both. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. <sighs> he strikes me as a Jeep guy. Not the type of Jeep guy that puts all those ducks on the dashboard, but he's a Jeep guy. You think Bill Belichick's a Jeep guy? What do yes. we think Dave Canales drives? He's, he strikes me as like a. Honda. I was going to say like a Subaru Outback type of guy. Okay, I can see that. Like yeah. adventurous but sensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That sort of thing. I was thinking Honda is more like an efficient car. Oh, I like that. I, 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 I drove an Outback up until like a couple of months ago. My wife sold Outback. I like them. Oh, yeah, Nothing wrong right. with them. I, I said that on the air one day. And somebody's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You drive an Outback? Thought you drove a truck. And I'm like, yeah, most of the time, but it's my wife's. Hmm. Texter's writing in. Bill Belichick drives a black Tahoe, according to HJ. Uh, Patrick in Huntersville says a Chevy Malibu. You know what? That is actually hilarious, and I I can visualize Belichick in a Chevy Malibu. It's sensible, American-made, no frills, decent gas mileage, plenty of trunk space. That's Bill Belichick's ride. I like that one. Chevy Chevy Malibu it is. I like that. Uh, 704-570-9610. Keep hitting us up. Let's go to smoke on the headlines. <laughs> All right, Kyle. This report is sponsored by Renewal by Anderson of the Carolinas. Kickstart the new year with this incredible deal. Buy one window or door and get the second one for 40% off. Act now to schedule your free, no obligation, in-home consultation at free window assessment. Oh, oh, real quick. Best text yet. 704 number says, I bet Dan Campbell drives a Silverado with truck nuts on the back. Question. I think truck nuts are hilarious. All right. And I've never pulled the trigger on them. But I was sitting in the newsroom with Hoggard last week, and I almost ordered a pair of truck nuts for the F-150 because they are objectively hysterical. But I feel like I'd get some really nasty looks if I did it. You would. You think so? Yeah. It's, what, it's the thing that stopped me from doing it, is that I just, the, the very childish, juvenile part of me finds them hilarious. But I feel like people will judge me. Anyway, go ahead. All right. Uh, well, so the NBA trade, di- trade deadline has come and gone. And for as bad as, you know, has the lack of trades have been over for the Hornets over the years heading into today, uh, it could be worse. I did not notice, but this is a crazy stat. The Chicago Bulls did nothing, and they have not made a trade for a player for a player since August of 2021. I mean, it's not that long, is it? Well, oh, you mean on deadline day or at all? Just at all. Oh, I missed that part. At all? At all. Okay, that, that's, that's significant. Yeah. All right. Speaking, you- of, speaking of the deadline, uh, today's a big day for if you're a Team Shams or Team Woj guy. Well, here's the trade deadline breakdown. Woj broke 11 trades. Shams broke five trades. But they were ousted by one person for one trade. Pat Beverly broke his own trade news today. Did he really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. 
He went from the Sixers to the Bucks. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> what else you got? And finally, the NBA in-season tournament has a sponsor and is being renamed to the Imartes NBA Cup with the uh, airline having the title sponsor starting next year. What would you call it again? Imartes. Emirates. How is Emirates from that? E-M-I-R-A-T-E-S. Yes. The United Arab Emirates. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The country? Oh, that's a country too. Holy crap, Smoke. All right, we're going to take a break. I got to check. I, I got to take care of Smoke. We'll come back. Mark Slareth joins us next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Walker Mail. Check Weston Walker out from 12 to 3. We'll break down the Super Bowl and recap the NBA trade deadline on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Time achievers, we call it who balled out. It's powered by high performance real estate advisors and the biggest dad gum baller of them all, Thomas Elrod. Go to highperformancerealestate.com and they will see you at the closing table. Smoke, what you got? Got to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium where Mark Mitchell balled out last night for Duke. 13 points, 10 rebounds, a double double, two steals, and one assist and one block as he helped Duke beat Notre Dame 71 53. Uh, state fans, I apologize. Earmuffs for the next 30 seconds if you need to. Uh, I'm going with uh, Jalen Lowe, Pittsburgh Panthers. 20 points to lead Pitt to a 67-64 victory over NC State last night in Raleigh. Now, this loss to Pittsburgh is not as bad as, let's say, Duke's loss to Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, just given the circumstances. The win got Pitt back to 6-6 six and six in conference, and they've now won three straight games. Now, they're not beating great teams. They've beaten Wake, Notre Dame, and now NC State. But Jason Capel's team playing a lot better than they were weeks ago. Uh, Jalen Lowe, again, scoring 20 points. He balled out. Blake Henson gave him 16. And uh, Pittsburgh able to hold off NC State last night. By the way, DJ Burns, a very quiet six points. He's been quiet a lot lately. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a problem. It really, it, it's a problem. I, I think <laughs> NC State, we're getting change at the end of the season if this continues. No doubt about it. That's who balled out. 704-570-9610. Uh, we are patiently waiting for a phone call from Mark Slareth. Stink, uh, former offensive lineman in the NFL. Of course, Fox Sports color commentator alongside Adam Amin. And he's still out there, I believe, doing Denver Sports Radio each and every day. Long time with, the N, uh, with ESPN. Mark Slareth will join us live from Radio Row. At, I think that's the phone call right there. Uh, from the Super Bowl, courtesy of our friends at the Low T Center. By the way, we'll talk about NC State. Uh, our guy AC just hit me up and said, NC State basketball is damn pathetic. Couldn't be more average. Well, we'll talk about that with Luke DeCock at, at 520 this afternoon. A salesman says, guys, trade deadline made me ponder what's worse, getting traded to my Hornets or getting traded to my Panthers. 
All right, we'll talk about it. We'll come back to it. Big trade deadline day today for the Hornets. They dealt P.J. Washington and Gordon Hayward away. We'll get back to all that. Uh, Panthers news as well, but let's talk about that and the Super Bowl right now, courtesy of our friends at the Low T Center with a great commentator on Fox. In fact, his broadcast partner, Adam Amin, is a buddy of mine. I was texting him the last time they had a Panthers game to tell him exactly how great a job I thought that him and Mark Schlereth do each and every time they get a Panthers game. And uh, he's also, you know, you watched him for a long time on ESPN, Fox Sports, as I mentioned, Denver Sports Radio, and a hell of an offensive lineman back in his day. The great and powerful Mark Slareth is back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Mark, how you been, man? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. I'd like to be there this year, but a uh, little FOMO never killed anybody. We'll see you next year in New Orleans, and um, I'm excited for the game on Sunday, and I, I guess that's probably you know where we should start. Uh, g- give me your thoughts, generally speaking, on two heavyweights going at it Sunday in San Francisco and Kansas City and what the outcome looks like. Yeah, you know, it's re- it's really interesting because I think, you know, I, I, as you watch this thing go, and it's all about who's playing great at the moment, but um, you, you can make a compelling argument that Kansas City probably put their two best games against two great opponents together the last two games they played against Buffalo and the Ravens, and San Francisco's probably played their two worst games of the year, and I did the last two games of the season for the San Francisco 49ers, and, you know, I probably I probably dug into six games that I, I looked at pretty extensively. And uh, I thought it's the worst their defensive line has looked. I thought it's the worst they've played on the defensive side of the ball. I thought offensively, um, it's probably the worst. Like, it, for me, it was one of those situations watching them on the, deep, on the offensive side of the ball where they've gotten away from what they do. And they have gotten into a, kind of being a drop-back spread, you know, shotgun drop-back team. That's not what they do. It's not what they do well. And so that's been a concern for me, um, you know, for, for San Francisco. And at least, you know, they've found a way to get two wins when they're not really doing what they do well. So uh, really interesting to see how, exactly how that's played out. But, um, you know, like you said, two heavyweights and two teams that uh, can be incredibly explosive and two teams that have the potential to be really good defensively. Mark, uh, Christian McCaffrey is a guy we know well here. Obviously, we drafted him here in Carolina, and it's, I think, equal parts for me anyway. Uh, enjoyable to watch him in San Francisco's offense, but also excruciating, given uh, it felt like there's a lot that could have been accomplished here when he was in a Panthers uniform. What is it about Shanahan's offense, I guess, that allows CMC to do the things that he does? Well, I think, one, I mean, CMC, as you guys know, is an incredible, just an incredible player. And, you know, he's probably, you could probably make an argument that may, he might be the best route runner on their football team. So, you know, he's incredible catching the ball. Um, but I think really their running game, you know, I've talked to probably 12 teams last year, and I consult for a bunch of teams uh, over the course of, of the years. But I probably talked to 12 teams, whether they're all offensive line coaches or, you know, coordinators or things of that nature, uh, that were all studying the San Francisco 49ers run game. And they are so good, um, especially the way they create the way they create entry points, the way they create angles for their blockers. And, and I'll just give you, for instance, say you're running 18 handoff. And, uh, you know, a stable play, something, you know, we've, we've run in that offense since, since my days. And so you're going to attack the end. You're going to attack a defensive end. And so you'll, you'll run what they call a trade block between tight end and, and tackle. Then you'll, you'll line up in two tights west, and you'll run uh, a double team between the two tight ends, which is a quad block, right? And then all of a sudden – You'll line up at solo, you know, solo back, and you'll motion one tight end across, and you'll run that quad again, but from motion. And then you'll run that quad again from motion, but the, the guy motioning across will have the inside portion. The, out, the other tight end will take the outside portion. 
Then you'll mix it the opposite way. Then all of a sudden, you'll arc release, and you'll, and you'll slam that guy with a tight end, or excuse me, with a fullback. And then, you know, I mean, so all of a sudden, you can block that defensive end with nine different combination blocks where that defensive end reads nine different plays, but you're only having two guys on the offensive side change what they do, and nine guys are doing the exact same thing they do on every time, uh, you know, an 18 handoff is called. And so for you as a defensive end, all of a sudden you've got to rush the passer and your head's on a swivel like, where are they going to block me from this time? And now you become ineffective rushing the passer. So that's where their run game is so good. They can take one play and to a defense it can look like nine different blocking schemes, nine different plays. But the offense, it's the same damn play you run every time. You've just changed two guys' kind of entry points or the way they're blocking uh, a particular player. And that's what makes it so – I mean, it's, it's just incredibly difficult um, to get a beat on what they're doing. Mark Schlereth with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Fox Sports NFL analyst, courtesy of our friends at Low T. Um, I, I got you for limited time here, so let me get to this, because I, I thought you did, and I mean this, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't just say this to say it, but I thought you did a hell of a job on the Panthers games I saw you on this year, and I told Adam that, because there was a particular stretch, I believe in the first Panthers game that you did, where you were breaking down how play calling impacts protection. And you, you weren't absolving Bryce Young of, you know, any criticism or any mistakes, but you were saying, hey, Frank Reich needs to be better in this way. I'm not sure if you remember this or not, but I thought it was great. Um, and so it, it gave us, I think, a window into kind of what was going on with the Panthers offense this year. It, you know, in, in your words, the best way you can put it, why was it so dysfunctional offensively this year? Well, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of things, you know, ultimately, um, you got a young quarterback. You got to do everything in your power to take some of the onus off that young quarterback. And, you know, some of the things that I think need to be done is, um, and I understand that Bryce didn't play in shotgunning, or excuse me, under center in college. Um, and, and I get that. And, and, you know, I mean, the only time that guy was under center was uh, when they were in kneel down formation, victory formation. But, you know, to take pressure off an offensive line, to take pressure off a quarterback, um, to, to implement more of your run game and some of the play action stuff that comes off your run game, um, being under center does that. Like when you when you get everything out of shotgun, you eliminate probably forty percent of your run your run package or your run game, and and ultimately for a defense it becomes a tell and becomes very easy to understand what you're doing. And so I thought just from a play calling standpoint, um, and I know that he didn't do a lot of that, but that's something that's got to be in your offense. Um, because it takes some of that pressure off that young guy, and it gives you the option to move the pocket. It gives you an option to create a, a better, you know, a better uh, boot keep game and a better play action game. And there's very little play action stuff that a defense, like a defense, when you're in gun um, and, and you're running play action out of gun, you, your linebacking core can play from high to low, meaning they can get more depth because it takes more time for that running back to actually get the ball in the line of scrimmage. So it helps you, it helps you get your drops. It helps you take away the intermediate passing game and it almost forces you to check the ball down. So there's a lot of stuff that, um, that, that is hard or that doesn't necessarily lend itself to you being good as a rookie quarterback. And I thought that was a lot of the stuff um, that they were doing in Carolina that I just thought didn't help Bryce Young at all. Yeah, well, and to piggyback on that, and I'll let you go on this, uh, a lot of what you just said, I think we heard some of that from Dave Canales last week at his opening introductory press conference. And um, 
you know, you actually talking about running multiple variations of the same play when you were discussing Kyle Shanahan. That's something that Dave Canales has already pledged to do. Uh, clearly, he had a hell of an impact on Baker Mayfield, Geno Smith, and Russell Wilson, but he's still a relative unknown to most football fans. What did you think of Dave Canales getting the job here in Carolina? Loved it. Dave is a friend. Um, Dave is a guy that um, that I, I talked to during the season um, that I discussed concepts with and and discussed the running game with uh, quite a bit. And so uh, he is a he is a, a hell of a young coach and um, a guy that is you know to me is a relationship builder. And I, I just believe in building relationships. I think we're all in the relationship business. If you're not in that business, you're going out of business. And I thought Dave was incredible at that. And I thought um, he did an unbelievable job. Remember, Tampa was horrible at running the ball early in the season. And they made incredible strides um, uh, in the running game. And it really helped Baker in his growth in that offense as well. So I thought he did a great job with that. And it's probably why he became the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. I uh, love that guy. He's a great dude. Like I said, a great relationship builder. And, uh, I'm just, I just, am, like, I'm celebrating him. I'm, uh, I'm really rooting for the Carolina Panthers and really rooting for Dave Canales. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, just one quick follow up then, because that's fascinating. I didn't realize you were that close to him. Um, is, is he, I guess, one of the better kept secrets across the NFL then the past couple of years? Because just as somebody who talks to fans every single day, you know, and, and what looks at fans and reads what fans have to say online, it just, it didn't seem like there was much familiarity with Dave Canales. Has the whole league known about this guy for a couple of years, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think there was a lot. I think what he did in Tampa and getting that opportunity to be the guy in Tampa and call the plays and and how you know how that offense grew. I think that's where um, where he got a lot of steam. And so um, you know, I didn't I didn't know him. I didn't have to be honest with you. I didn't know him until this year. Oh, okay. And um, and so we we connected this year and and then we just stayed connected. Um, and you know, and it's always it's always fun to be able to pick the brain of a guy and and to go back and forth with that stuff. And I just thought, uh, I, again, I just watched. I did a Tampa game, I think week four, and then we kind of stayed connected. And I just watched the growth of that offense. And like, I love Baker. I think I think Baker's great. But to watch the growth of Baker and the maturity of Baker and the way he played. You know, the, you know the difference between the way he was playing at the beginning of the season versus the way he played at the end of the season. That was that was Dave Canales, and he did a tremendous job with that. And um, and I thought the way that offense grew in the running game um, was Dave and the commitment that Dave made to doing that, and and you know and taking some of the onus and the pressure off of Baker. And that's a big rehab. Think about Baker. I mean, that got that that's a fourth different team. Um, and they're ready to kick Baker to the curb everywhere. And that guy, just that guy, the growth was leaps and bounds. And, um, and again, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I credit Dave Canales a lot with that. Mark, thank you, brother. I appreciate the time. We, we always enjoy catching up. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you, buddy. Mark Slareth, Fox Sports, also Denver, uh, doing sports radio in Denver each and every day. He knows the sports late at Radio Life. 104.3, the fan out in Denver. That's where you can find Mark Slareth weekdays. He's live from Radio Row in, in Vegas this week. We appreciate his time. Hour number two next, Luke DeCock in 21 minutes. Oh, by the way, I screwed up DJ Burns in the box score. I'll, I'll talk about that correct it next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.